So I actually... My daughter just wrote and said that there was another incident now in Tachan Merkazid and Geula. I don't know exactly. Just just now. I was obsessing over these reports. I tried to close it up. It was not so easy. It's really... So, um... I don't know what to say. Yesterday, I overrode the shear at Orliahu, and we just talked about about an approach to um, to dealing with this painful kind of time. Um, I think I'll probably do some of that today. Maybe maybe we'll do a mix. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not even ready to teach at this. But I think I'm just gonna. We'll say some Tehillim first, and then maybe we'll go on from there. So. Looking to see. Does Tehillim do any good? Does Tehillim do any good? Uh, depends what you think your goal is for Tehillim. Yes. Right? Yeah, I was watching it. A video that was being passed around from you know, an Israeli soldier saying you know, we have to stop expecting the world to do something for us. Quite true. We have to remember we're still in Gullis and that we need to do a mitzvah, do some chesed, to help them do something ourselves to bring Mashiach to, yeah. to stop this. The truth is, yesterday someone asked something similar. I didn't say does to help them help, but she said, you know, here there's all these things. And you, you feel like you want to do something, and then people say, come, come say Tehillim, we'll have a Tehillim group. Right. And she's, she feels frustrated by it, because it's hard to know. So how to, how to, I guess, tap into that, or how to feel that that's something you're doing. So I just want to, um, maybe let's start with that. I didn't, I didn't bring all these sources here. I did make source sheets, so some of them are here, but not all of them. Um, <clears throat> the the Gemara describes the Gemara. Good morning. The Gemara describes that when Paro decided he wanted to make a decree against all the Jews, um, lest they rise up against us, right? Because of course they must be the aggressors, even though they've been slaves for however many you know years or not been slaves, but they've been living there peacefully for a long time. Um, so he called in his three wisest advisors, and they were Yisro and Bilam and Eov. And Yisro said, well, it's not, I, I don't know, I, you know, I didn't look up the Gemara. That's the truth. It describes that Yisro fled. Yisro fled, and as a result, he was rewarded with children who sat in the Sanhedrin, who were members of the Sanhedrin. Um, it's interesting. It doesn't say he was rewarded with Moshe Rabbeinu as a son-in-law. That's like that's pretty cool. But for his own descendants, his own flesh and blood, <laughs> were were members of the Sanhedrin. Um, whether he said anything or not, it's clear that his running away from this topic that he ran, uh, he he left the room, he got up, and left, and then had to run for it. Um, that was definitely a clear statement, one way or the other. Bilam said, yeah, go get him. <laughs> and Eov did not agree with this plan, but he realized that there was no point in saying anything differently. Yisro had not been reacted to. Yisro didn't get a positive response. He had to run away. I don't believe he ever lived in Egypt again. And um, so he dis... <laughs> it's a new washing machine. It's much quieter, except it plays music. <laughs> um, e Eov... Eov didn't say anything. He just sat quietly. Um, and that, it, to that is attributed the fact that he had a lot of suffering later, even though he was an extremely righteous person. That he did not speak up in defense of the Jewish people. He did not speak up for what was right. He said nothing and did nothing to show his objection. Um, and so he had a lot of suffering. Now, it makes it a little easier to understand a connection there because there was an enormous amount of suffering that was caused by collusion in this meeting. I mean, all of the slavery afterward was a result of the decisions that were taken during this meeting um, of millions of people, you know, for 
86 years or whatever it was. The Briskarav, the Briskarav is saying, is asking the question, what's so bad about saying nothing? If he knew it wouldn't accomplish anything. Sometimes we know with Musr, right? You can only, you're only allowed to give Tochachat to someone who can hear it. So why is this so different? I mean, why, what's the big deal if he didn't say something? He didn't say something bad. He didn't agree with it, not in his heart at all. He didn't say he agreed with it. He just didn't say anything against it. And the Briskorov says, because when something hurts, you scream. When something hurts, you cry. There's, what's missing here is it didn't hurt him. If it had hurt him, he would not have been able to sit quietly and smile. Something would have come out from him. Whether it was, excuse me a minute, I gotta be out of the room for a second, right? Or he would have felt nauseous or he, nauseated or something, right? Nothing. There was nothing that happened there. And what we see from this is the importance of feeling other people's pain. That's what the Gemara is commenting on, he says. When the Gemara says he was silent, what it tells you is he wasn't feeling pain. This is some of the power, you know, with Aaron, after his two sons died, it said he was silent. But the silence over there that's described as Vayidom, it's a very active, enforced, strong silence. It's, it, he, he silenced himself, right? That's because he sought to not show that he had pain because it was Hanukkah Samishkan and because it was Hashem's will, right? But he felt it. But if someone feels it, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be something be just because it hurts. It's not anything to do with a lack of faith. It's not, it's, it hurts. When something hurts, it makes you cry. And that's what was missing. So piece number one of this is that the goal of, of trying to think about what can I do, there's so much going on. The goal is not to try and make ourselves feel better. Perhaps the goal is to make ourselves feel worse. <laughs> it's possible. It could be that what we need to do is feel it more, not less. I'm not talking about any particular one of us. I'm just saying it's certainly not, oh, let me see how I can feel better. It might be, let me see how I can feel it more deeply. It's possible. It's possible not. It could be we feel it really very deeply and we're ready to move on. And now what? Now what do you do when you do feel the pain? But piece number one is really feeling the pain of others and allowing us ourselves to feel that because that's really where all of the reactions are going to come from, is from how we're feeling, not, not how we think someone else might you know, need help or something. It's where we're feeling it inside. So there's a little trail within the Ramban that is brought out by Rabbi Moshe Eisman. I heard it in a recorded share of his. And it, it actually is in Boratius, in the very beginning of Boratius. And he starts by asking a question, why does the Torah go into so much detail about what was created on the different days of creation and the creation of man and woman, right? What, what's the detail for? Because honestly, it's not like the fact that there's a whole chapter about it makes us understand how the creation happened anyway. Like the only ones who have any concept of some of what it was are the people who have a Kabbalah of it. And those people would have had a Kabbalah of it whether it was written down in the Torah or not. Meaning the knowledge would be passed on, right? If whatever it was that Hashem told Adam or whatever Adam himself witnessed and remembered, and he would have told his children certainly Shace, right? And Shace would have told his children, and there, there are many things like that, right? There's a whole Sefer HaYetzirah attributed to Avram Avinu, like, right? This is not part of the, it's not in the written Torah, it's a Masorah, it's a Kabbalah. And there's no reason why, I mean, look, the way Rashi asks it, really all of Bracious could have been Kabbalah. There's no real reason that you, that is obvious, there is reason, but the way he asks the question is, why wasn't Bracious Kabbalah? Why is Bereshus written into the Torah, whose purpose is teaching? So the Ramban starts with that question of Rashi's, and he kind of builds it out in a different direction, which is, why say it in the Torah if it's not adding information for us, really? In a way, it is. I don't mean to say it's not adding information. It is. But this is the, the way you, have, you can see the question. 
is, but what did I learn from it really? Do I really know how the cosmos were formed? Uh, not, not so much, you know? Do I really understand the kind of tectonic shifts and, and that it took to raise the Andes Mountains and to draw off the, the oceans? And to, not so much, <laughs> not really, you know? So why didn't the Torah suffice with, with a line from Kiddush? In six days, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Could sum it up. No, really. Why, why, what's the detail add for us? And I'm not going to go through his whole answer, so if it really intrigues you, you could maybe check out a Chevelle Chumash, or a translation of the Ramban. Um, not that that's so much easier to read than Ramban, but a little. Um, he says, and, and he's coming back to Rashi's answer. He's just kind of fleshing it out more, which is unusual, maybe, for Ramban. He says, it's telling us this because he wants us, it's, it's koach masav higid liyamo. The power, the might of his deeds, God is relating to his people. And he wants us to know that he created this world as a machon l'shivto as a dwelling place for his Shechina. So this is, this is piece one. Koach Masav Higid Le'amo. God is telling his deeds, the power of his deeds to his nation. And the, at the core of that is, the world was created as a place for the Shechina. That's piece one. And the second piece is a little farther along on Pasuk Tess. On, in, sort of in there in his commentary on let the waters be gathered from under the heavens so the beginning of the third day that God he gathered the waters and you know it's the words the way we read them is so mild compared to if you felt even a, a moderate earthquake you know what, what we're talking about here to create to create the earth in such a way that the land masses were visible over the waters and would also contain lakes and rivers and streams, you know, so that inland there'd also be water. He decreed upon the dirt that it should rise up until the waters would be seen and the dry land would be dry. And it would be, there would be flat enough areas suitable for settlement. Now, I think we actually talked about this once when we were talking about Eretz and Yabasha. Um, that the la this is the creation of an environment in which people can live. And that's what he's, he's built on. I mean, this is himself, right? The reason this is a trail is because you realize he's putting it. He's, so now let's go back. Hashem is telling us, why is he telling us all of creation in, in a small amount of detail, in outline form? so that we understand the power of his deeds, which was to create the world, to create the world as a dwelling place for his shechina, and to do so by creating a world in which people could live. This is the next piece here. And he this actually follows right through Beratius, but this is just a few of the snippets as we go through. Okay, and God called the dry land Aretz, Aretz, why? Because Eretz, remember, is related to like Ratsui, like des uh, desired or according to Ratzon. Because, because of the land, it's now that the earth is in shape to be settled for mankind, because there is no other in the lower worlds who is able to recognize his creator other than him. There is no other creature that was created in the lower world, meaning in the physical world, who is able to consciously recognize its creator. Everything created sings of its creator through its creation and its behavior in accordance with how it was created. But only man is able to consciously be aware and recognize and acknowledge his creator. There is none other than him. Do you see how the pieces have pulled I don't know exactly why the Ramban has strung them out, possibly to string it along together with the creation itself. Okay, that this is, this is what it's all created for. And the, even in this piece alone, 
to get some kind of concept of what we're doing here, what the world is doing here, created and formed and shaped and smoothed and watered in order that there will be a dwelling place for his shechina, which requires people who can acknowledge and see that they have been created by their creator and, and mention it and say it. That's the beginning of time. But then we could jump to the end of time, and this is a Rashi that we saw a couple weeks ago. When we read Hazinu, Parsha's Hazinu, the song of Hazinu, the Shira of Hazinu, is a summary of human history from the beginning till the end, right? We, we spoke about that. The second to last Pasuk, the penultimate Pasuk of the part that's considered the Shira, because there's a few verses afterward, is Ashkir Chitzai Midam. I think I put that on this source sheet actually. It's uh, number Gimel, number three. Uh, I didn't put this verse, but I put the next two. Ashkir Chitzai Midam. I will wash my arrows in blood. My sword will eat flesh. With the blood of the corpses and the captives. Um, let me see how he translates. From the sins of the enemies. The nations will sing praise of God's people. Kidam avadav yikom, when God will avenge the blood of his servants. Menokom yoshiv litzarav, and he will bring vengeance, return vengeance upon those who have, who have pained and, and tortured his servants. Vechiper admaso amo, and the land will have kapara for its nation. And then that's the end, because after that is vayavo Moshe, and Moshe will come. Vayidabris kol divrei hashira hazos be'ozne ha'am and speak all these words into the ears of the nation. And as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, that's already going into the Messianic era. It's roughly divided by aliyahs. Okay, mm-hmm. that's Shvi. And we talked about that, how those aliyahs are divided, because we don't usually give whole drushes about how aliyahs are divided. This one is based on the Gemara. Mm-hmm. Right, that was Hazivlach. The light is yours. And what did Rashi say on Harninu Goyim Amo? The nations will sing praise of his people. Laoso Hazman, at that time. That time is the end. This is, that is the last Pasuk of, of humanity until the Messianic era, until the end of history. At that time, Yishabhu Haumos Yisrael, the nations will praise the Jewish people. Reu, look, Ma Shibhashaumazu, look the praise of this people. Who clung to through all of the, the suffering and the travails that came upon them. And they did not abandon him. They knew his goodness and his praise. When you see the end of time, in light of the beginning of time, you come to see that if nothing else, the power of saying, we stuck by you. We didn't abandon God. We recognize, we knew you. We know you're good. We know that we praise you. No matter what is happening, you see how that is the end of time. That is the beginning of time. That's the end of time. And that is a fulfillment. What else could we achieve under suffering and in concentration camps and you know, hiding in attics and being beaten to death in pogroms and whatever else, and being stabbed in the streets of Jerusalem, what else could we achieve? Maybe not much, but it's everything. In the end, that's everything. It's really like what, what Kohela said, the end of it all, everything's been heard, have fear of God. Also interpretable as see God, right? See, no. Kizekohada. That's all of it. So That's this everything. Is, this is kind of the answer to what's the point of the Torah? Getting there. Okay. Reishis Chachma Yiras Hashem. The beginning of Chachma Yiras Hashem. And Sof Davar HaKol Nishma Guess what? It's the end of it also. It's the beginning, it's the end. 
Okay, it, I think it even ties into what we said on uh, Simchas Torah about what the based on the Chasam Sofer combined with the mutant mutant of our Torah, right? And it's not called Kilayim to cross like a Chasam Sofer and a Kliyaka, right? It's not not mixing two species, right? Where the last word of the Torah is Yisrael, the first word of the Torah is Bereshis. Together they're Ashrei, Ashrei. You'll rejoice, be happy in this world, Tevel. It's it's God's world, and everything in it is His. That's it all. That's the whole thing, really. That's the whole thing, and it's important to know that. Just like a personal mission statement, which we, we try and develop in order to help reveal the facets of our own role as one piece of the greater puzzle in the world fitting together. But in a grand sense, all of us are a facet of that, and when we know that, that's important for focus in times of great difficulty. You have to know really what is the one most important thing. Um, there is a pasuk in Yirmiyahu. Kikasher yidbak ha'ezor. Oh yeah, I did put it on here also. It's number two. Kikasher yidbak ha'ezor. As a belt is tightly worn, el masneish. Not worn. It is tight. Just like a belt is tight against the waist of a person. So have I tightened onto me. All of the house of Israel and all of the house of Judah, says God. To be for me a nation, and a name, and a praise, and glory. And they didn't listen. The the belt, I'm not going to go into that in a lot of detail here. It happens to be that I have this pasuk because in the other class we're doing Ozer Yisrael Bigvura, who belts Israel with the belt. Yeah, that's why. Um, but that's strength. Meaning the belt, a belt is something that is restrictive, but it allows you to pull together, to harness, to channel, to, to gather together your strength in order to be able to focus it to achieve more with it. Hashem is describing something over here that is both mighty, powerful, it's din. It's really din. If you would see the context of this verse, it's quite terrifying. And yet the context, but, but the meaning of the verse is, I'm holding you close to me. It's, I'm holding you close to me. And that's what it looks like in a time of din, being held close. And just before we start, remember I said it, I had a thought, which I'll share it now. In the Yehi Ratzon, at the end of Brachos in the morning, <coughs> we say, thank you. We say, may it be your will, Hashem, our Lord and Lord of our forefathers, that you habituate us in your Torah, v'dabkenu b'mitzvosecha, and st stick us, cleave us, would be fancier, to b'mitzvosecha. I think the pshat is cleave us to your mitzvos. And then afterward, we have also v'dabkenu b'yetzer hatov and cleave us to the yetzer tov. And all of this concludes with v'sigmelenu chasadim tovim and do for us good chesed. And it occurs to me that it's possible in light of this pasuk in Yermia, right, where the lahadbik, the the holding close, is this belting close, and it is absolutely din. It's, there's no other way you can read it. You could read it as a lot of love. But it's a lot of love as shown as din. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's not cling us to mitzvos, it's cling us with mitzvos. In other words, via mitzvos. Hold us tight onto you by means of mitzvos. Hold us tight onto you by means of a yetzer tov. That's chasadim tovim. Because there are other options. We could be held close by not doing mitzvot, chas v'shalom, and then the holding close takes a different cast. It's like the threads of the tzitzit. Yeah. So I think, I think that there's something to that. When we talk about Tehillim, I remember Rav Hirsch, Rav Hirsch says, Tehillim are a tool for Tehillah. That's why it's called Tehillim. It says Tefillin is a tool for Tefillah, Tehillim is a tool for Tehillah. Tehillah, without, without referencing back 
to our notes on uh, on Pesuk Zimra. Tehillah is singing a, a singing praise of God that is reflecting His goodness. Remember, it's related to the word Hilah, which is like a glow or a halo. Um, Lehalel is is really to reflect. So it's singing praise, meaning not that we innovate praise, but that we reflect what He does into the world out as praise. We look, we see what He's done, and we praise it. That is everything. That's what the Ramban is telling us, is how the world was created. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. And that's, at the end of it all, what it's about. And what the praise is of us to be able to do that. When we say to Hillam in times of trouble, even before we think about what are the words we're saying, are we also at the same time davening, asking for something? There is an act in taking up a Tehillim that is a kind of um, touching base with purpose that says, in this time, in this happy time, or in this sad time, or in this painful time, or in this frightening time, my action is to open up and sing praise of God because that's what I'm here for. That's what it's about. And ultimately, that I can point back and others will point to me and say, look, that's, that's, what the, that's what she did when times were hard. She sang praise of God. So there is, a, there is a very tangible act that comes. Now, there's more than that, right? Tehillim, tehillim is all prophecy. And when we say the words, you know, when God says words, it's creation. So in speaking God's words, we're emulating that creation. We're speaking out the prophecies. We're speaking out the well. This is very much ties to, I had a note to talk about this a little later today. I just don't know if we would have gotten as far as that. That's an element of Shemona Esrei as well, which we'll get to. It's much more so in Shemona Esrei. Mm-hmm. But even in Tehillim, when we're speaking it out, it's not that we will get what we want. I don't know. I don't know what's decreed. But what we are doing is taking the situation that is there, taking the feelings that are there, and allowing them to become a part of the creation of God's will. And that's a, that is a form of Yichud Hashem, what we, what we work so hard on in Shema, to unify and pull together that this is Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. David's the master of that. Everything. And he, you know, David Melech doesn't hide from problems. He doesn't like, you know, everything's really fine. You know, there's no, like, David really suffered. David had a very hard life, and he says so. But somehow by the end of it, he comes to a kind of a, a, of a grapple. Not at the end of the whole Tehillim. Every chapter is a recognition that Hashem, this is your hand, and you love me, and you've got it under control. That's really what it comes down to. That is a kind of a yichud Hashem that is very powerful. So Tehillim is a tool for Tehillah. That's what it's for. That's what it helps us accomplish, is to be able to see what's going on. You know, it sounds so academic when we sit and talk about it in a shir. We look at the world, and we see what's going on, and we see the hard times, and we see the good things, and we see how it's really good and all part of God's plan. And it sounds really nice, but days like today and yesterday, these are days to actually, like where that's a reality, where we're looking at the world and we're saying, you know, this is all God's hand. And yeah, like maybe there's action we need to take. If, if there's a bystander, you know, whose heart stops, probably I'm called upon to do CPR, not say to him. Right. At that moment, you know, like, like some, you, you do have to act, but sometimes if I'm sitting over here, what action could I take? Or maybe my head is just so overwhelmed and my heart is just so bursting that I can't even think enough to figure out what I could do to help. And I pick up a Tehillim, because that's something I can actually do. And so there is, a, you know, this is, I'm addressing really two, both questions. Your question, does it help? And also someone else's question, which was, but what could I do if I really want to do something? Mm-hmm. 
So number one is, yeah, really, you should do something. We want to look back. I, I printed an article, and I think I didn't bring it downstairs. Um, this woman wrote really something, fair, an amazing piece a couple days ago. Uh, her point was that she's furious, she's angry, she's frightened, and she knows that this is going to make her a better person. That for right now, with all this going on, she's in Israel, you know, she will feel more united with other Jews and less critical and more focused on what really matters in life and not the stupid little frustrations that aren't really important. And she says, but this has happened before. And a few weeks go by or a few months go by mm -hmm. and then I'm back where I was. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'll be damned if I let it happen again. I want it to be different. I, I, it's got to stay. It, the change has to stay. That's, that's the frustration. That's the anger. So yes, like if there's something we can do, and it should be, as you know, very, very small, and then cut it in half again, because I'd never heard yet what the shear is for how much change is called change. As far as I know, any change is a change. So that in three years from now, and somebody says, are you different because of what happened in Tishrei? of 57, 76, or whatever we're up to, <laughs> right? You could say yes. You can see in my behavior that I'm a different person. It may be in a very, very, very small way, but yes, I'm different. So yes, we do do something. It's not that we just, right? But, but saying to Hillem is not, is not an opiate of the masses. It's not, oh, you wanna do, okay, go say to Hillem. Like, you keep the kids occupied in the corner while you're doing the important work. Tehillim is important work. <laughs> Tehillim is very important work. You know, it's not for nothing that whole yeshivas will send everyone and say, stop learning Torah now. We're going to say Tehillim. You know, Russia yeshiva really believe that it's important to sit and learn Torah. Every minute that you're learning, you're building a world. What would make you stop and say Tehillim? Like, think what it takes to you're stop and say building. to him. Sorry? You're also building. It's a building. It's a different kind of building. It's a reflecting. Maybe it's not building. I hear what you're saying, and it's very helpful. I think I'm confused because in the Tehillim, there's a lot, of, a lot of the ones that are specifically chosen at times of suffering. There's a lot of bakashot. I don't think Tehillim is called bakasha. It may but, not okay. be, but there are things... I mean, for him it was, maybe. Um... And I think, at least what I've always thought is, well, you know, something terrible is happening. Let's go say to Hillam basically to ask Hashem to stop it. Right. Okay. I don't think I'm unusual in feeling that. that right. Was what we're doing. So that's, I would say that's not really what Tehillim is about, but something we have started talking about in the introduction to Shemona Esrei, which was, I guess, more like going into Rosh Hashanah maybe, um, is the need for us to feel lack and helplessness in order to reach out properly to God and recognize him as the source of the salvation. Well, he succeeded. I do feel helpless. That's good. I'm saying that <laughs> the feeling helpless is an uncomfortable feeling for a person, but the, the way that's supposed to go is then turning to God and saying, you're the only one who can provide. But see, this is what's upsetting. I, I davened this morning... And I thought I did really well, you know. I was really feeling good. Right. And then I walk in here, and I hadn't heard the news because right. I don't I play the news right. until after I've done. And that's a rule I have: no looking at the at the internet, no turning on the computer until I've done. Right. Okay. So I didn't. Right. And then I come here, and you guys tell me all these horrible things, and I oh, thought, oh. I hope not. Right. So. That's because the purpose of our davening is not to solve our problems. The purpose of our davening is to connect to God. Well, for that period and of time, the, there was the, some connection, I think. I, then there was. There probably was. But so that the goal, I'm meaning the goal, can lost. be achieved, right? Because we, our goal in tefillah is not getting what we want. Our goal in tefillah is connecting to God. Now, the way that we connect to God. You know, you can connect Lahavdil to people on many different levels. There are a lot of ways we can connect to people. Some people we connect to through our actions, some people through words, 
some people physically. There's so many ways we connect to people. To connect to God um, is something very, very deep and very intimate. And, and it really happens in Shemona Esrei. Really where it is is Shemona Esrei. So first I'm going to read you this quote. This is from Rav Hirsch. The purpose of tefillah, you've heard it before. <laughs> the purpose of tefillah is the elevation of the thinking, feeling, and desiring inner being of man to a state of being worthy of getting near to God and his benevolence. Now, I'm a little bit going to jump here. So we'll, we'll have to rewind later. Um, this is an idea that I have mentioned before. I don't know that we spent a lot of time. I don't think we spent a lot of time on it. But in time, somewhere here I have the four, if you can imagine, uh, the four-row table, right? Mm -hmm. So we're supposed to be connecting to God and relating to the world at the level of neshama. We said this is associated with a level of teshuva, of ratzon, of will. But what, is that, what does that mean? What does that tefillah mean? How, at what, this is obviously something much deeper. This is deeper than relating to God through the physical and even appreciating the physical that we feel. You know, I feel I need something physical and recognizing when it is there or isn't there. It's even deeper than relating to God emotionally and even deeper than relating to God intellectually. There's something even more than that. And that is relating to God through our will and desire. Not desire that's emotional desire, but actual need and actual will. Will is the only word I can think of. It's such a small word. So here's how Rav Leichter brings it. You know, he has, we've looked at the little book on tshuva, but this is the slightly larger little book on tefillah. He says... Chazal characterized prayer as being among the things that stand at the height of the world. Prayer requires us to relate to our requests in a way which is elevated from our material existence. He hasn't explained how we do that, though, yet. It doesn't mean we become detached from material existence. On the contrary, in prayer we remain firmly rooted in our material existence and the expression of our physical needs. It all kind of starts there. The point is that when we pray, we should connect our simple lives to a much bigger reality. And know that our needs, however seemingly simple, <clears throat> are part of a cosmic picture that is completely beyond our ken. If we could stop for a moment and feel the individual suffering and fear that's going on right now in the world, and then somehow rise through that to see it as part of a global picture, which is part of God's world and God's plan. We should realize that our earthly existence, with all of its earthly needs, actually relates to a lofty realm beyond our comprehension. So one piece is just being able to say, I don't understand all this. And in not understanding it, I recognize that there is a bigger pattern. It's a little bit like what I've said many times before. I heard it from Rabbi Orlowick. I don't know where you're taking me, God, but I know it's somewhere good. Most people find this difficult to understand. We tend to think that what we request is one thing and that what Hashem has in mind is something different than what we want. Or if we're lucky, the same, I guess. Right? However, the truth is that Hashem is interested in the same things we're interested in. Remember we talked about that masa umatan? We have a shared interest. God is actually interested in me and what I want and what I need and what I enjoy, but for much deeper reasons. Can I understand them? No, I can only go as far as, but I want it. For example, when we pray for our livelihood, Hashem is definitely interested in us having enough sustenance. I mean, he created us, so he would like us to have what's required to keep on living. But there are many more realms included in us receiving livelihood which we request, namely how the fulfillment of the request will affect us and what we'll do with it. For example, when Chana prayed to have a child, 
It's not a random example because Hannah is the source for how we know how to daven, what it should look like. She clearly wanted the child for personal maternal reasons too. Yet when she envisioned having the child, she saw the whole future of Klal Yisrael. Everything this long-awaited son could achieve, anointing Shaul and David, all of these much more significant outcomes were inherent in her request. Now in her case, she's a prophetess, so she may have actually seen those things. But, but we can at least align ourselves with the concept. Maybe if I don't understand why things aren't the way I want them, I could also not understand fully why it would be good if they were the way I wanted them. But there could be many more reasons for it to be good than even the ones I can come up with. If we cannot see further than the satisfying of our needs, if we can only see our own perspective of our request, then our prayer will never be anything more than an attempt to manipulate God's hand into giving us, into, to what we, giving us what we want. That's, I prayed and I didn't get what I wanted. I mean, I, I think we all kind of sit there sometimes, right? But what Rabbi Leichter is saying is that that's not fully what prayer is about. What's supposed to happen in a Shemona Esrei, which is a peak of prayer, it's not limited only to Shemona Esrei, really, but because a person can speak like Hana, you talk to Hashem directly from the heart. That's also could be a Shemona Esrei in and of itself, even if it's not a halachic Shemona Esrei. If we cannot see further than the satisfying of our needs, if we see only our perspective of, our perspective of the request, our prayer will never amount to more than an attempt to manipulate Hashem's hand into giving us what we want. Our prayer will be confined to nothing more than another form of hishtablis. It's just another effort, right? I gotta try hard. What's my biggest hishtablis? Prayer. He talks about that in an earlier section. He says, we think that person is so righteous. He's like, they don't get it at all. When we're holding in a place where what's my best hishtablis prayer? Then maybe we didn't understand at all. It's not just a hishtablis. Our prayer will be confined to nothing more than another form of hishtablis. Our rationale being that the more desperately we make our requests, the greater the chance those requests will be met. I mean, if you haven't come across that idea, right? You didn't daven hard enough. I guess if we'd only davened harder. What does that even mean? Who's God here? Who's the God? Who's the one who's deciding? Me? Something, right? Like, however, if we can elevate ourselves to look beyond our narrow perspective, we will be able to see that included in prayer must be the definitive knowledge that Hashem is concerned about our good. It changes everything. Because of course I'm still asking for what I think that I need and want, but I'm recognizing it's what I think I need. It's what I think I want. I still would rather rely on God's knowledge of what I really need and really want. It's much better <coughs> informed than my own knowledge. Can you repeat that last sentence then? The one that I just said? No, the one before that. That he just said? Right. However, if we can elevate ourselves to look beyond our narrow perspective, we will be able to see that included in prayer is the definitive knowledge that Hashem is concerned about our good. He doesn't say this, but I think the way that we've been shown how to learn about davening and the phases of davening, beginning with the physical and then moving to the psuke de Zimra, which is emotional, but it's also seeing through the history of individuals and nations that Hashem has a plan and it has all been part of a greater purpose. And then from there to Kriyashma and the unification of God's name, that Hashem and Elokeinu, the Din and the Rachim, Hashem Echad, you see how all of this really primes and prepares us for Shrona Esrei. When, when we realize this, just elevate ourselves to look beyond our perspective to understand. We'll be able to see that included in prayer is the definitive knowledge that Hashem is concerned about our good. Right, that's what we've all been taught so many times, like you said, to you know, temper our requests with, you know, May God fulfill the requests of our heart for good. If Furthermore, if we relate to prayer merely as a means for fulfillment of our requests, this itself will cause distraction and hinder our ability to concentrate on our prayer. Because while we're davening, it'll be hard to stop thinking about hishtadlis, what we need to do. 
And if I'm saying, like, please, like, send me this and send me that, and that's as far as it goes, it's going to be very hard to keep thinking about Hashem because I'm going to keep thinking about, oh, I really need to, like, send that list out, and mm -hmm. maybe I should try calling them one more time because, like, all I'm thinking about is how is this going to get done? Mm -hmm. Our preoccupation with resolving our problems and satisfying our needs will prompt us to think about different options and solutions available to us. Our prayer becomes a matter of sad irony. At precisely the moment that we're trying to connect to Hashem, we're in fact distancing ourselves from Him. Okay, now, now we've got to resolve it, though. Uh -huh. Because on the one hand, the bakashos are the core of our Shemona Esrei, and on the other hand, if it's all there is in our Shemona Esrei, we're going the wrong direction. We take three steps back, and we never took three steps forward. <laughs> but if we pray in the manner suggested above, which was seeing beyond only our narrow perspective. There is no room for distractions <clears throat> because there is certainty that Hashem takes a personal interest in us and will do what is good for us in ways that are recognizable or sometimes in ways that are concealed. As we begin to pray, we can calmly let go of our considerations of what we think needs to be done because we understand that our requests are Hashem's business, not merely our own. We can content ourselves with the knowledge that we can leave matters to Him. He'll take care of everything. And with this approach, it is easy to resolve a classic dilemma. How can we pray to Hashem and make requests when the requests may not be in our best interest? Right, so now it sort of sounds like, well, then I shouldn't ask for anything. Just say whatever you want. This question is only a difficulty to the extent that we regard prayer as a type of coercion, a single-minded attempt to persuade Hashem to act in a way that conforms to our view of what's important. To pray in this fashion is indeed problematic because it's quite possible that man is mistaken in what he considers to be important. You know what people say, be careful what you pray for, you might get it. Like that's, if that's what prayer is, that, <laughs> that's what makes that, that line funny, mm -hmm. is the definition of prayer, unfortunately. In truth, genuine prayer also encompasses the standpoint of Hashem, whose desire is to do what is best for us. Our personal lives encompass both our standpoint and that of Hashem. So do you see how he's starting to give us, I was going to say practical, I'm not sure that's exactly the word, but reasonably practical concept of what it means to say that during Shemona Esrei, we are seeking to have a state of enod milvado, there is no will other than his, there is none other than him, to have an overlapping of our ratzon with his ratzon, yihi ratzon imrefi, may the words of my mouth be God's will. I say it all the time, yihi ratzon milfanecha. What's coming out of my mouth should be God's will not because I'm trying to coerce him. May it be that the words that I'm saying are God's will. That after they're God's will, I'm going to now be saying them. Not that because I said them, I changed what his will is. His will is unchanging. Because my will is aligned already. Is aligned. And even if I don't know what his will is, if I recognize that he cares about the world more than I do, he loves the world and me more than I do, it matters to him as much as it matters to me and more. And he has all the knowledge and all the power. Then I really want whatever it is he wants, whether I figured it out or not. So I express that, I tap into that by recognizing my will and what I need. Because that's the only way I can begin to touch base with the will at all, with concept of, of desire and wanting and feeling that something is missing so that I can seek it. But in that seeking and requesting, all of that is embedded within, Hashem, I know that you truly are the one whose will is good here. And if we look at Shorna Esrei, if you look at Shorna Esrei, all the th anything we want has its place in Shorna Esrei, mm -hmm. whether it's, it's health or guidance mm -hmm. or parnasa, there's a bracha for it in Shimon Esrei. Mm -hmm. And yet the words are already set for us. We can add our own words in. Before each bracha, we can add our own words in. 
But the words themselves, if you look at them again, you, we're so accustomed, we look at Shona Esrei as our bakashos, it's what we want, because it is what we want. But if you look at the way it's phrased, this is God's will. You don't have to know every word of the Torah to recognize these ideas as being straight out of the prophecies that God has told us is his will. It's straight out of Torah Nevi'im and Ksuvim. Every word, just about, right? That God will heal the sick and bring back the dead and support those who have fallen and free the prisoners and return us to Torah and give us knowledge and forgive us our sins and bring health to the sick and redeem us from our suffering and bless us with prayer. It's all straight out of the Torah. It's God's will. So when my, my mouth is moving in Shrona Esrei and the words that come out are a completely, it's not even blended, a single expression of Ratzon that is my will and God's will. Both. Not both. It's God's will. That's what's being expressed. So I, can, I take my will and from that is born expression of God's will. That's an avoda of Shmona Esrei. Our challenge is not only to express our perspective, but also to relate to his perspective, so to speak. When we pray, we encounter Hashem face to face, so to speak, and encounter founded on a shared concern for our good. If what we consider to be good is not really good for us, and ultimately Hashem is the one who knows that best, our requests may not be fulfilled. Our task is to recognize that Hashem wants only our good, and therefore any outcome of our prayer, even when our specific requests go unfilled, is it unfulfilled, is included in our prayer. When the purpose of the prayer is to connect to Hashem and to connect to His will, and in connecting to His will, as Refersh put it, be worthy of God's benevolence, near to God, that's near to God and worthy of his benevolence, then that is a successful prayer. And we feel it as a successful prayer. And it would feel an unsuccessful prayer were we to just put the coin in the slot and get what we wanted with no care as to whether it was good, relevant, meaningful, helpful, or not. That's for snakes. <laughs> yeah open your mouth suck it in but there's no connection there the point of the davening is the connection that is the purpose in fact the purpose of our having lack of our missing and needing things is in order that we will connect that's a purpose that is an ultimate purpose this way of praying requires us to develop a broader picture, a more cosmic view, one that is not merely preoccupied with having our needs met. I, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb. Thank you, Rabbi Lechler. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and make a comparison, and I hope it's a fair one. Um, I'm going to bring up Schmos. Gracious always rises to the top no matter what we're reading. <laughs> Shmos can occasionally, you know, a couple, you know, I mean, two poor men pace at the top of Shmos. Okay. Sorry, it's pretty early in Shmos here. right here. Let's see. Okay. Yes, it is. And it was in those many days. The king of Egypt died. This is Shmos, Perak Beis, Pasuk Chavgimel. And the Jewish people groaned under the weight of the work. Vayizaku, and they cried out, Vatal Shavosam El Hoelokim Minhavoda. And their desperate cr 
crying, their desperate prayers, rose up to God from the work. And Rashi says, Vayamas Melech Mitzrayim. Uh, sorry, no, that wasn't the Rashi I wanted. Yeah, yeah, well, this is, this is a suitable Rashi. It's not the one I was looking for. Sorry. That the king of Mitzrayim got Saras and was slaughtering Jewish babies in order to bathe in their blood. There is a different one that I was looking for. I'm sorry. Which was... I don't see it. It says when they cried out, the Jewish people cried out to God, and the the pekida, the phase of pekida began. This is, and then Hashem calls calls him to the sneh. It's immediate. It's absolutely immediate. And the, I, I thought Rashi brings, it could be brings, I don't know. Not enough of a Talmud Chacham to, <laughs> to find it. Um, that a woman was working in the construction site in Pisam and Ramses, and she was ready to give birth, and she could not stop building to give birth for the luxury of having her baby. And her baby was born, and her Egyptian overseer took the baby and stuck it into a brick and added it to the site she was building. And she cried out to God. And that is where the story changes. It says God saw their plight and he saw their pain and he remembered the promise to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And he called to Moshe and told him, go to Paro. So this is me going out on a limb. I don't know that that woman, I don't know, imagine, you know, maybe she survived long enough. It could be. It could be she left Egypt, and it could be she crossed the Red Sea, and it could be she had the degree of prophecy to understand what the outcome was, the value of her child's life. Mm. Could be. But certainly not in the moment. We would never wish for suffering. Not for ourselves and not for anybody else. But it is possible that we could appreciate that our suffering might have cosmic consequences. And I think that it is necessary to be able to recognize that there can be not just some kind of meaning, but very, very important significance and meaning to our experiences and our reactions to our experiences, not only to help us to help us embrace what God gives us so that we're not turning away from him, but we are turning into him, towards him when we are in trouble, recognizing that we are strapped on like a belt, but also in order that our tefillahs be what tefillahs need to be. To be able to, to say, what you do, God, is good. Whatever the merciful one do, the merciful one does is for good. Right? Rahmana is like saying harachaman, right? When we describe Hashem as harachaman. You know, rachaman is different from one who has rachamim. We know this from like the, the donkey that you know crouches down because of the weight of the burden and it's a mitzvah to go help unload. And it says rovates, if you see that it's crouching. And over there, it's rovates below ravtsan. It's crouching, not that it's a croucher. Because you could imagine that some donkeys would pick up fairly quickly that every time they fold up, somebody will take off the load. So if they don't feel like carrying it, even if it's a suitable burden, they might just bend down, right? So a donkey that does it all the time, there's no special mitzvah to go running over constantly to help unload this donkey. That's the donkey, that's not, right? But what that tells you is the difference. Rovates is an action, it's a verb, it's crouching. Ravtsan is a is a characterization of it. This donkey is a croucher. Now, that doesn't sound so exciting, although it does have important halachic significance. But when we say Hashem is harachamon, that's not just he has rachamim. That is, he is consistently and ongoing a rachamon, one who is merciful. I think that this is something that is absolutely necessary for our tefillahs, hopefully. Hopefully we don't have to actually experience and nobody else needs to experience for us.
Amen. any of this suffering further. I do want to say a parak of Tehillim. Koflam at 130. I didn't prepare Tehillims or anything. Shir Hamaalos Mima Amakim Kerasicha Adonai. Adonai Shima Vikoli Tihiena Aznecha Kashuvos Lekol Tahanunai. Im Avonos Tishmar Ya Adonai Mi Yamod. Ki Imcha Haslicha Lemaan Tivore. Ki Visi Adonai Kivso Nafshi Velidvaro Halchalti. Nafshi Ladonoi Mi Shomrim Laboker Shomrim Laboker. Yachel Yisrael El Adonai, Ki im Adonai Hachesed Veharbe Imo Fedus, Vehu Yifte Es Yisrael Mikol Avonosav. Yehiratzon Lofanecha, Adonai Elohenu Velohe Avosenu, Shetishlach Mehera Refuash Lema Min Hashamayim, Refuas Hanefesh U Refuas Haguf, Lacholim, Naor Shalev Ben Rus, Or El Bas Limor, Odel Bas Miriam, Moshe Ben Orli, Nasan Ben Odel, Meir Yitzchak ben Sarah, Aaron Moshe Chaim ben Chaya Chana, Devir ben Shoshana, Avraham ben Rus, Ron Shai ben Sigalis, Sahar ben Shoshana, Yosef Chaim ben Zahava, Besoch Sh'ar Chola Yisrael, Achenu Kol Beis Yisrael Hanesunin Batsara Uvashivya, Haomdim ben Bayam Uvein Bayabasha, Hamakom Yirachim Aleim Vyotzeim Mitzara Lervacha Umeyafela Leora, Umishibud Ligula Hashtava Agalov is Mankari Vinomar Amen. We should hear Basuros Tovos. Oh, good news. These are people who have been injured in these attacks in the last week or two. So we got a little bit of, a, of an introduction. It is a book. This is worth hearing. Okay. This is the Chazon Isha's advice on how to acquire the attribute of feeling another's suffering. Remember, I started with we need to feel the suffering, but that didn't give advice on it. Sorry. And then afterward, I saw this. This is from the Chazon Ish. It's from the Kovitz Igros Chazon Ish, so from his letters. But I saw it in the book Love Your Neighbor by Rabbi Pliskin. For someone to be able to feel the suffering of others, he must first train himself to do everything he can to help them and to save them from suffering. These actions will affect the emotions. Also, he should pray for the welfare of others, even if at first he does not actually feel their anguish. So there's, he's dividing it, according to this, into two parts. I think it's really all one and the same, more or less, right? Which is, what can I do for them? Maybe what they need is money, or CPR, or, or zechus. Maybe I could say a parak of Tehillim one time. Mm-hmm. By the way, there is a very short parak of Tehillim, which is good to have in your back pocket, so to speak. Because not at all times can you sit and open a book and say, right? But there's a two-sentence parak of Tehillim. You could even learn it by heart. Yes, a very short one. I'll find it for you. Okay. Um, and that's something practical, right? You hear somebody's not doing well in the hospital. Say a parak of Tehillim for them and say, Hashem, please send them a Rufu Shalema. Right? Of course. You can even just say, May Hashem send, send this person a Rufu Shalema. You've davened for them. Instead of just letting it go past you, that, that stop into the moment, right? Even if you do no more than that, you've done something for them. If you stop and you say, Oh, you know what? Let me I'm gonna give a little tzedakah in this person's zechus. There might not be something else that you can think of off the bat as what they need, right? Maybe they need dinner. <laughs> Maybe it's somebody in Montana. That's, you know, they're not seeking that you're going to provide dinner for them. But that we don't just let other people's pain go past us. We think, what can I do for them? Is there anything I could do? Maybe there is, Maybe there is stuff that they need that I could provide, but I can't provide it because I have other commitments that even trump that. It's possible, right? So... So that's also, so then I got to find some other thing I could do to help instead of, oh, well, right? Then I, what can I do? I say, Hashem, please help them. Something. I can, I can take an action. I can, I can think the next person I see, I'm going to give them a really big smile, right? It's, it's, um, but it doesn't mean that every time for the rest of my life, I'm taking upon myself to smile at everybody, right? That's also a, a practical and realistic 
way to take, to say I'm going to take an action. I did something different. I, this is something. And it's, number one, it affects me. And number two, it affects them. That's win-win. That's great. That's what I want. So I thought it was helpful advice. So thank you, whoever, <laughs> for reminding me. Every time I hear a siren, and it's a siren from an ambulance, it's like, you know, I start to say, you know, I, I hope that Rafua gets there in time. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Instead of just it's always going on. Okay, so this is Tehill and Clifford Zion. I am not, yes, it's part of Hollow. That's what made it easier to look it up. Um, I'm not saying this is the perfect Tehillim for times of trouble. It's part of Hollow. It's happy Tehillim. What I'm saying is it's a useful Tehillim to have in your back pocket. I don't actually know like a... Well, there is a tune like they use it. I mean, if you know one by heart, can't you just Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is one that's useful because it's so short that you can say, I'm going to say a whole parak of Tehillim for someone, and you've made it into something that's more bite-sized and manageable. Kuf Zion, Hallelujah es Hashem kol goyim. All the nations will sing praise to God. Shabachu kol ha'umim. All the countries will praise him. Ki gavar aleinu chazdo. Because his chesed has, has powered over us which is an interesting combination of the Gvur and the Chesed, right? The Emes Hashem Le'olam, which is Gvur and Chesed, the Emes Hashem Le'olam, and God's truth and Emes are forever and ever hallelujah, praise God. That's a really manageable size to hill. It's, yeah. Of course it's beautiful. Uh, well, I just want to make clear, it's not like I'm one of these like Sephardi Mekubal right. and like telling you, oh, for this problem, say this to, for your left finger, you know, like, I'm not. I'm just saying it's a very practical advice. Right. Which is, and it's for any situation, it's certainly appropriate for good news. So, and, and it's part of Hallel, so it's got a tune. Yeah, there's a little tune that goes to it too. Yeah. So, you can even learn it easier. Oh, that one helps. So, Kofi Yusan, 117. Did you give us the tune? Yeah.